You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the program. This is Locked On SEC Football Podcast. He is Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. I'm Dave Hooker. You can follow my work at SaturdayDownSouth.com. And also, if you'd like to listen to my show, go to NougaRadio.com. And I'm going to still a bit of an idea that's been kicked around there on Saturday down south before we get to some other news and uh, that is Nick Saban versus Dabo Sweeney uh, some guys at Saturday down south kind of played both sides of that this is the big lead we'll have other news as well and then coming up we'll have a full recruiting report and also the scouting spotlight and the film room so we are loaded up so stay tuned be sure and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you can. Let's start with the debate, and it's the offseason, and that's part of the reason they did it at Saturday Down South. Nick Saban versus Dabo Sweeney. Um, I think it's pretty simple, in, in my opinion, uh, as an outsider. But, I, Chris, I want your opinion because when I see Nick Saban, I see a, a better overall resume, needless to say. When I see Dabo Sweeney, I see an incredible up-and-comer that's definitely in the conversation. Just as far as their coaching prowess, how would you describe it? Well, I think they're different. First of all, Nick is more accomplished. He's the more complete coach. He's also older, and that's why he's more accomplished. He's been around longer. I think people are always quick to jump the gun. Well, Dabo is young. What if he does? Well, what if he doesn't? And, you know, Clemson is the best program in the country because they wanted to – well, if they win this year, then there's, what, three out of the last four? Correct me. I think that's correct. That right. would definitely put them as, yeah, right now they're the best program. Alabama, I think, over the longer period has been the better of the two. But it's it's a work in progress, which is why people are having their debates. Let, let me say this. I think it's a good conversation for this reason. I think it shows that you have different types of guys. Dabble is a salesman. He's a recruiter. He's not a great X's and O guy. He hires well on his staff. He delegates. He has a really good rapport with his alumni, his fan base, his, his support staff, his administration, his players. Players love to play for him. It's great. Bear Bryant had, you know, some qualities that were great as a leader. Dabble has those. Um, Gene Stallings, Dabble's mentor, had those qualities as a leader. He's picked that up. Uh, I think that's what he is. Saban is a different type of coach. Saban is more hands-on. Saban um, more teaches his coaches. He gets he has more coaches that leave because of two reasons. Their success leads to people want to go there to get a jump up to go to the next to their next job, bigger job. And he trains them. And when you go under that system, you immediately have a you're, you're a polished gem that everybody wants. So people go there. The other thing is he's hard to work for. He's demanding. Saban coaches the coaches. Dabble doesn't go in and, you know, explain how this is going to be called or not. Dabble relies on his coaches. Now, he's hired well. If he loses some of his coaches and he doesn't hire as well, you could see – a dramatic drop in the program because of it. Now, if he hires well, meaning like, you know, like you draft players in the NFL, if you, you hire good coaches, it's going to work. I mean, if you look at what he's done, particularly on the defensive side, having Brent Venables in there and recruiting well, that's made all the difference. Now, Chad Morris left, 
and he replaced them very well. So there's every reason to believe that he will replace those guys when he needs to and do it very well. With Saban, last year, the staff didn't work very well. They made it all the way to the championship game because, you know, Saban was able to adjust. Saban was able to get into, people didn't know this, but, you know, Pete Golding became more of the play caller on defense. Nick became more involved in the game plan. So Nick, as a coach, defensive coach, and then overseeing and, and explaining what he wants from his offensive guys is more the hands-on. You've got an extra coach there, the best football mind in all of uh, maybe all of football, certainly all of college football, that can go in and make some substantive changes within the season that other people don't see, but that keeps that thing going. Now, it may not be enough to win the national championship every year, but they're in the hunt every year. So I think the proof's in the pudding. Clemson's working. Alabama's working. But I would pump the brakes on Clemson's the better program now, and I and would say that you could have that conversation if Clemson wins it again this year, particularly if they beat Alabama. As far as Dabble Sweeney up against Nick Saban, uh, Dabble's got a long way to go and a lot of success over a long period of time. I mean, didn't we hear that? Tiger Woods is going to blow Jack Nicklaus off the map. He's going to win 20 majors, except something happened and he didn't. Now he's course getting back and people are wanting if he can catch jack but my point is we always want to write the end of the story write the book report when we're like three chapters into a 12 chapter book saban is on the deep end of his book no question but he's going to be a tough guy to catch in terms of the best coach of all time i, I would question whether dabble is going to be able to do that with the level of consistency that nick has because as i said he's a different type but if he does well, let's acknowledge it when he does it, not in anticipation. Because remember, everyone said the same thing about Urban Meyer. He beat Nick Saban. Oh, he's coming, man. He's done it before. He beat him at Florida, and he's going to do it. He did it at Ohio State. Well, where's Urban Meyer now? I mean, so I, I think there's always a lot of people that are challengers. We'll see years down the road how it plays out. Very true. And I know we're going to bounce around the SEC. You've got scouting news that people can find at LandryFootball.com. It's certainly worth the subscription price, cheaper than a, a magazine subscription. So we're going to bounce around the SEC as part of the big lead, and you've got scouting news from LSU, Kentucky. Uh, you've also got uh, a little bit of recruiting news as Georgia wins a big one over uh, Tennessee. What do we got? Well, a couple of key information from Joe Burrow at LSU. He's really working on getting his weight bulked up and improving his strength. He thought he wore down at the end of last year. So let's take a look at that as we get into fall practice and how that may help his stamina as he feels like. So Kentucky, uh, interesting notes in going back on my film grade notes this past year. Terry Wilson, for you know, for the, all the criticism he might get as a passer, uh, and, and he's got a ways to develop. He only trailed Tua and Jake Fromm in accuracy percentage. Accuracy percentage is where you throw the football where you're supposed to, as opposed to whether it's caught or not. That depends upon, obviously, the receiver doing their job. So let's watch and see if he can develop a little bit more. Other news at Kentucky, Sawyer Smith is transferred from Troy to Kentucky to be the backup there. So we'll see how he's a good young player if somebody can – provide some insurance for him and some big recruiting news again from georgia receiving a verbal commitment from four-star um, offensive tackle tate ratledge he beat tennessee out for him so 
Uh, they've been he's 6'5", 295, Rome, Georgia native, really good feet. Going to be an exciting get for the Bulldogs. Um, so that's a wrap around the SEC. There we go. Coming up next, it'll be our recruiting report. This is Locked on SEC Football Podcast. He is Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with that recruiting report. You are Locked on SEC Football, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. You're Locked on SEC Football Podcast. He's Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. A recruiting report for those of you who don't know, and you should, Chris does everything from scout the NFL to scouting college football to also scouting prospects. So you get an inside look at a player's ability, not just where he's visiting that week. Uh, Mikel Sherman is one that you took a close look at. What do you think about his potential college decision? But also, what do you think about him as an athlete? Well, he's a young man from St. John's uh, High School, uh, college high school in Washington, D.C. He's a five-star guy. He's 6'3", 234, and he's a big Georgia Bulldog lean. Now, he he had missed all of most all of his junior season with a torn ACL. So the film work was done prior to the injury. This kid is really good looking on the hoof. I mean, he really uh, plays with his pads very well. He's very versatile, can play inside or outside. He plays running back for them as well. He can really run. I mean, he can accelerate. He's got great change of direction. Uh, you see him cover backs and tight ends out of the backfield. He can scrape and fill versus the run. He's really good at diagnosing and, and, and chasing plays. Uh, he can step over trash in traffic. He can disengage very well. He's got a nice snap and wrap as a tackler. Um, you know, he's the only issue is there, how does he come off of his injury? That is becoming less and less of an issue now, David. It's, you know, nothing's a given anytime you go on to surgery, but they're so good with it that uh, I think they feel good about what they have is what they is a guy that's really elite as a five-star guy. So this holds up, and, uh, you know, Georgia, big lean for them, and if they can uh, hold in, Going into Washington, D.C. now, what a great recruiting juggernaut Kirby Smart and his staff has become. No doubt about it. And one of those guys, uh, Andrew Thomas, on the Georgia roster as we speak. Uh, pretty darn good lineman there, Chris. Absolutely. You, know, you talk about this offensive line of Georgia and how good he is. It, it starts with Andrew Thomas. He's another member of that 2017 recruiting class that was thrown in early. And I think they're one of the West, best coast offensive lines. Uh, he's a two-year starter for them, and he you know, can play both the right side and the left side now. Uh, and he's a big-time anchor. He's 6'5", he's 320, he's really advanced technically. He's very, very rare. Uh, rare. He's got really good feet uh, to, to uh, stay in good uh, base protection status against power rushers. He's got good upper body strength, and he's got good quickness to to handle uh and redirect his body so gonna be watching him i think he's got a potential to be uh, a really good next level player but for georgia he kind of leads up and leads up the great offensive line that uh will probably determine how far the bulldogs go this year i would think that uh, could only uh, help in recruiting what they've been able to do with that offensive line lately i, I really felt like there was a time if you're an offensive lineman or almost any player, you're going to Alabama, or at least that's the smart business decision. But I've got Georgia kind of right there with them in terms of developing as a player on the offensive line. What are your thoughts? 
There's no doubt about it. Listen, and and one of the things we're doing at LandryFootball.com is breaking down all the college rosters school by school. Georgia does not take a backseat to anybody. Clemson, Alabama, they're right there. Now, in, in some areas, a little bit leaner, you know, some position groups than the other, but not, not lean, but leaner, and some areas a little stronger. They're right there. They just haven't beaten Alabama. We know they've played them close, so they don't have the skins on the wall that Clemson has or Alabama, but they're right there in terms of personnel. And in terms of offensive line, uh, right now, they're a better offensive line than, uh, than Alabama's and Clemson's, no doubt. In fact, I think it's uh, maybe the best offensive line in college football. Cool. Pretty strong. He's Chris Landry with LandryFootball.com. I'm Dave Hooker. We'll take a very short break, and then we'll get to the film room. So stay tuned. More to come. Locked on SEC Football Podcast. He is Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. We'll be right back. You are Locked on SEC Football, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. This is your Locked on SEC Football Podcast. I'm Dave Hooker, joined by Chris Landry, each and every weekday, Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. You can follow some of my work at SaturdayDownSouth.com. And uh, I tell you what, Chris has a guy that's going to be very interesting to break down, and that is one Joe Moorhead. Uh, We've started to learn more and more about him, but your thoughts on uh, Moorhead as we go to the film room. Well, I think it's a listen. Uh, I hate to use uh, overused terms like pivotal year and all that, but because I think it's just thrown out too much. But when I say pivotal, nothing like either they're going to run the guy out of town or anything like that. That is definitely not even on the radar. But I think it's a pivotal year to to create a comfort level in Starkville of what they have. We all know that they had a really good, well-respected coach in Dan Mullen. We see all the talent that went into the NFL uh, off that team. So they they've de- they found players and developed players very well under the previous staff. So Joe comes in, and what was probably, you know, Dave, you know this, most coaching changes are because, particularly if you take over in the SEC, it's because you've taken over a program that slipped a little bit. Somebody wasn't doing a very good job. Not very often do you see an SEC coach leave for a better job, but that's what happened at Mississippi State. So Joe got handled, uh, uh, handed a very good, you know, full deck. And, you know, I don't think it went as as smoothly as they thought, but I think there's always a bit of a transition period. Joe Moorhead's a very bright offensive coach. Remember him at Fordham, did a good job at Penn State. I think he's got good ideas and views. I think it does take a time, a full year, to fully settle in for your players to understand what you're doing and how you're doing it. And I think it's going to be an interesting year to see how this offense develops a little bit. How much of it is something that he can adjust a little bit to, maybe get his players to run a little bit more of what he likes to run. And I I think that's going to be pivotal. It's still going to be about can they recruit and develop players anywhere near as good as Dan did because if he doesn't you know I, I don't know that the record is going to be as good as people think I, I think that the expectation level is and you tell me if you see it differently 
But the Mississippi State fans think that, well, you know, we, we were ranked number one in the country a couple of years ago, and they think that should be a regular expectation. And I thought that was the exception rather than the rule. And I think in most cases, you know, depending upon the difficulty of the schedule, you're looking at seven, eight wins as being a really good year at Mississippi State. So if you fall short of that, man, you really are looking at, um, you know, something that at least in the eyes of the people that support the program, a big different a differential in what the expectation is and what reality is. And if you don't even meet the reality expectations, I think you could start to see some level of uncomfort, discomfort in Starkville this year. So I am very curious to see what he does with the offense and what he can do, particularly at the quarterback position, and to get more out of it and to get more out of the passing game and maybe get a little bit more putting into what he wants to as opposed to what he thought he was had to adjust to last year. No, I agree with you. I, and I, I think it would have probably, probably given me a little bit of pause if I'm any coaching candidate to take over that job because I'm, I'm sorry, it's not, it's not Georgia, it's not Florida, it's not Alabama. You've got to develop players there, and I do think expectations are understandably – too high right now in Starkville. And if you don't, if you're not successful there, you're not getting another, you know, anywhere near, you know, big time college job again. And that, that is difficult, which is why I always say, you know, for the Matt Campbell's of the world at Iowa state, don't, you know, people, you know, I get this a lot, uh, Dave, well, well, cause I do a lot of coaching consulting work and, and, you know, well, why didn't he go to, you know, I don't know, Minnesota or, you know, or, you know, or wherever, well, because you know, why do you want to do that? I mean, you go it's a lateral move in a lot of cases. Well, no, this program's a little bit better. It may be a little bit better, but is it a lot better? If you, if you go somewhere else, you're already proving yourself. You need to you need to wait for your dream job at Ohio State or something that's really big that you have all the resources to win big. Because if you don't and you take a small step up, um, and you don't have the resources and you go in a more difficult conference, for example, or something, then boom, the dust is off your rolls and you're forgotten. I mean, I can remember going back days and days with Mike White. He was the hottest coach. He was at Illinois and he had NFL people after him. He had big time college jobs. And, you know, now in his case, he passed them over a little bit. Well, the resources and people caught up and he benefited from people around. Boom. He didn't jump quick enough and he never i mean he was not the hot guy anymore then so you have that but then you have other guys that maybe leave a little too quick to go to that next step they fail and then they never reach their ultimate step so it's kind of why like you know dan mullen perfect example he was at mississippi state he did a great job i don't know that he would have left for any job i think he would have left for tennessee we know he would have left for Florida and maybe a few others, but he wasn't going to leave. He had some interest in the Oregon job, and that didn't play out. But he wasn't going to leave to go to a program that's better than Mississippi State, but not on the level of you know Florida or Tennessee or someplace like that, because then that is not a good option. So I think this is Joe's situation. He's going to have to make the best of it and hope he can be successful there in Starkville. There is a time when you shouldn't take your agent's phone call. Um, he is Chris Landry with LandryFootball.com. I'm Dave Hookers. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, we will talk to you tomorrow and look forward to that. 
each weekday. Locked on SEC Football Podcast. We'll talk to you tomorrow.